I don't know, and I understand they've come back in fashion again because they're in WH Smith's, but I don't know if any of you remember the first time round the Where's Wally books. Do you remember them? Yay, yay. Does anybody not know what I'm talking about? If you don't, I'll explain what they are, okay? Apparently, in WH Smith's, they're half price, but that was a 24 99 book, so I only got the squiddy little one. And this little one, you have to have really, really good eyesight, so I've not found Wally at all. Okay. There is also a magnifying glass, okay? So it's definitely a young person's book. I'll have to give it, I think, perhaps to... Oh, do you think poor homeless person would be sitting there? Oh, oh that'll be... Anyway, but yeah, I shall have to give it away, I think. But anyway, the, the reason for this is that... Do you remember in the Where's Wally books, there's the Wally with... He's this guy with kind of stripy red and white shirt, isn't he? And he's hiding in all of the pictures, Okay. And the picture is like a scene of, of a story happening, okay? And then somewhere in the picture is Wally. This is a place to stand, obviously. Somewhere in the picture is Wally, and he's kind of either up a tree or in the water, or the worst one is he's when he's hiding around the side of something, and you just see the head with a little bit of red and white striped. And, and, and that kind of um, picture, that kind of image of, of where's Wally, I guess, is similar to what Jesus said to the Pharisees, okay? not having heard of Wally, he didn't mention him, but he said in the Bible these words, you diligently study the scriptures because you think by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. That's John 5, 39 to 40. Now what he meant was, was in the whole massive big picture of the scriptures, I'm there, but you actually can't see me because you're not looking clearly, okay? Now, he wasn't talking about the New Testament because his autobiography hadn't been written by that stage because that was when he was, it was when he was about here, okay, on the timeline, okay? It wasn't where Josh was, good timing, Josh, where it had already been written and you had that whole picture. The people he was talking to, the Pharisees he was talking to about having eyes to see had only seen this bit of the timeline, so you would think, wouldn't you, that they'd perfectly legitimately say, but your name's not in there. Was it that Jesus was confused? I don't think there's any other point in the scriptures that Jesus was confused. Or was it that they, and along with many of us, were missing the point of a lot of the Old Testament scriptures? Because it seems that the Old Testament scriptures are about those characters exclusively in them, like Noah and David and Joseph and Moses and all of the others. But yet, what he's saying is, you can't see me in it. And it's almost like you need to have that special magnifying glass of the Holy Spirit to actually pick out where Jesus is in the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus is saying in that passage in John 5, he's saying, look, I am hidden all over, even the Old Testament scriptures that you've read, he says to the Pharisees. But certainly for us, when we look at the whole of the Bible, Jesus is there. It's just that in the Old Testament, like Wally, and bear no other similarity, like Wally, he is concealed, okay? But in the New Testament, he is revealed, but finding Jesus isn't like a game, like finding Wally. It's more like a treasure hunt, and it brings to life and to vitality all of that bit up to the Advent candles. Because that brings to life all of If you recognize that Jesus is in the Old Testament scriptures, it brings to life all of what went on before. 
You see, there are many people, aren't there, who say, well, I like the New Testament and I'll read that. But the Old Testament, all blood and guts and gore, not even going to go there, don't understand a word of it. But they're not looking for the right thing. They're not looking in the light of the gospel to see that it's all part of a major master plan that went on from the very beginning of time. In the Old Testament, then, there are strong hints, we understand by what Jesus said to the, to the Pharisees, there are images and there are prophecies about Jesus that we really need to pick up on. In the New Testament, those hints, those prophecies and those images are, if you like, unveiled. You no longer need the magnifying glass. The curtain in the temple, you remember at the point of resurrection, the curtain in the temple was, was ripped apart, top to bottom, to reveal, if you like, the star of the whole show who had been there from the beginning of time. But people perhaps hadn't really had the eyes or the Holy Spirit in the same way to perceive him. So if you like the journey of our sermon, thank you very much to Mike Pilavacci and Andy Croft, is really um, a journey where we try and see, in the Old Testament, glimpses of Jesus. And I can tell you, it's not long enough. All of the mornings of Sundays would not be long enough to do it justice, but I'll give it a try. Storylines is fascinating because it does something that I hadn't really done before. Not only does it look at prophecies, and we'll have a little look at some of them later, but it also looks at some of the lives of the Old Testament characters, like Noah, like Moses, like David. Don't worry, I'm not going to go through all of them. But it takes some of the lives of the Old Testament characters and it says, Nina, Nina, parallels. Okay? It basically says, in those lives there are bits of their story that kind of foreshadow what Jesus did. Give you kind of a hint to the Jesus story. In Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses and David, there are bits that kind of point you, like signposts, if you like, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, this book is available from the Sanctuary Cafe bookshop. And I might lend it to you if I'm really generous. Anyway, but it's very good, so if you want to have a look at it later. Anyway, let's start off, okay? I'm just going to do a real precy of some of the ideas to give you a, a kind of a taster and give you a clue as to what I really am or what Mike Pilavachi is really on about. Noah, okay? Genesis 5 to 8. I'll read that in a minute. In Noah's time, the human race had messed up so badly really God had concluded that there was no way to straighten up the mess. And God had got to the point where things were so bad that he regretted creating the world and humans in particular. And he decided to send a flood to wipe out the entire human race. Let's read that bit. This was not a happy God. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe away from the face of the earth the human race I've created and with them the animals, the birds and creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I've made them. There was one problem. Last verse, eight. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. 
You see, if you go on to read the next bit, Noah was the only righteous person in the whole earth. You'd have thought that would have led him to be self-righteous, which I guess probably is a bit of a sin, but it didn't even do that. He was totally righteous, through and through. Can you imagine if you were the only righteous person in the whole of the world? I mean, how good would that make you feel? Okay, or even the only righteous person in Thomas Risley Church, but he wasn't even proud of that. He was good, through and through, and God recognised that. And the thing was, he loved God, God loved him, and God was then and is now a just God, and he wanted to save him. So this plan for kind of annihilation of the whole universe would not really work, because Noah was there, and he didn't want him to go. So we all know the story, the rainbow's even up there, don't look, it's okay, you can see it later. But what he did was, was he gave Noah a kind of Ikea kit, okay? He said, you have gopher wood and you have lots of Allen keys and you build a big boat. Mike Phillip actually didn't mention the Ikea bit. And that's what Noah did. Because you see, not only being righteous, Noah was also obedient to God, completely obedient to God. So when God gave him what seemed to be a completely mad plan... When God gave him directions, he was obedient to God to the point of humiliation. And when the rains came, as God promised, because he felt there was no other way for the rest of the world, Noah was saved together with the rest of his family. That, to me, would be a bit of a problem because, remember it said that Noah was the only righteous person on the earth. And his family wasn't righteous. But, and this is where the parallels, the signposts to Jesus come, his family were saved because they were attached to Noah. Noah then was the first signpost to Jesus. Jesus, in his time, like Noah, was the only righteous man. He loved God. He was obedient to God to the point of humiliation on the cross. And when he conquered sin and death and rose from the dead, he brought new life, not just to him, but to all the unrighteous people then and now who attach themselves to him. To get the point, Noah Ark people saved, Jesus on the cross, people who acknowledge what he did, who actually go, if you like, with the ark, who acknowledge what Jesus did on the cross, are then saved by the very fact of being attached and accepting his sacrifice by being attached to him. After the flood, there was also a sign, another parallel, a sign of the rainbow, the sign of God's covenant promise that never again would there be a flood like it was then to cover the earth. And today with Jesus, since his sacrifice, since his obedience to humility on the cross, the sign is the cross. All who, if you like, who shelter in Jesus' ark of salvation on the cross are not wiped out but given eternal life. So do you get the kind of thing, the kind of idea about how the stories then, which were true stories, but also they were part of God's plan to reveal something about Jesus, about the then and now, and, and how that can actually impact our lives. Just one more example. I'm going to get briefer and briefer in the example as we go through. Abraham, okay? For those of you who are familiar with the story of Abraham, he had a much 
looked forward to and much loved son Isaac. And he was, I mean, his family were not expecting, Sarah was not expecting to have a child other than the fact that God promised that their descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. But this son who came in their old age, God asked him then to sacrifice. What a really weird story. He asked him to go to Moriah and offer this beloved son Isaac as a sacrifice, as a burnt offering. So Abraham was obedient to God. Obedient to the point of tragedy, perhaps. He saddled his donkey, placed the wood of the sacrifice on his son Isaac's back, and walked him to the place, the area of Moriah, which is where present-day Jerusalem is. Again, the observant amongst you would note some parallels. Centuries later, Jesus, God's beloved son, rode to Moriah, stroke Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. And then his father allowed them to place the cross of the wood of sacrifice upon his back. He did this because he so loved the world that he was prepared to give his one and only son that, thankfully for Abraham, God then provided the lamb and he was able to allow his son to live. But for Father God, he actually allowed his son to die and then to be resurrected for us. Other parallels. Joseph. The story of Joseph, the Technicolor Dreamcoat one about there, wasn't it, on the timeline. Just parallels between him and the Jesus story. There are loads and loads of them in there which are fascinating, but just a couple. Joseph was sold to the slave traders for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was sold to the Jewish leaders for 30 pieces of silver. You'd have thought if it was the same amount, it would have been perfect, wouldn't it? A perfect parallel. But actually, God even allowed for inflation. Okay? In 1900 BC, 20 pieces of silver was the price of a slave. In AD 30, 30 pieces of silver was the price of a slave. Both Joseph and Jesus were sold. Joseph also was born to be leader. He was born to be at the right hand of, he was Pharaoh's right hand, as obviously Jesus was born to be at the right hand of God. That Joseph was, was sold into slavery, he was tempted, and then out of that temptation and that wilderness time, a time of great fruitfulness happened. He also, again, there's some really, really uncanny kind of um, sort of parallels. He predicted the salvation. When he was in prison, he predicted the salvation of of two men, one who suffered with him. One was actually going to to die and one was going to go to to live. Let me think of Jesus on the cross, the two people there with him as he was in captivity. One was to go on to eternal life and one was to be condemned. Joseph also, from that difficult time, was, was raised up into to almost like a resurrection experience. He was raised up into a time of great prosperity. And, and you remember the story of the famine and how his brothers who'd wronged him came back. But Joseph declared that all of this dreadful thing you read in Genesis 50, 20, all of this happened that many might be saved and be brought to abundant life from the famine and death. 
Joseph forgave his brothers and, and gave them that abundant life. And I mean, it's just so easy to work out the parallels between that and Jesus coming from the, the wilderness, coming from the death, and then that resurrection and bringing new life to us. Two sentences for Moses. Very, very much for Precy. Mike Pelavacci says a lot more. Born to bring freedom to those who were oppressed and in captivity. He brought release to the oppressed and led them to the eternal life. Well, he almost did. He was just on the edge. It went forward then to the promised land. But finally, there is a finally. David. And when we think of this time of year... David, I think, is probably the ultimate parallel. There's so much more that could be said about him and the parallels. Just the birthplace. David was born in a small town called Bethlehem. Sound familiar? And Samuel declared that David was to become king of Israel. And as he anointed him with oil for the task, as it poured down upon him, he said that he was going to be king of Israel. And soon after that anointing, he went out and he fought Goliath as a representative of Israel. And then he went, that was just alone and, and vulnerable, really. He didn't use the weapons of the world to, to actually be victorious over, over Goliath. He actually relied on God's strength to have that great victory. Jesus, born in Bethlehem. At Jesus' baptism, John the Baptist declared that Jesus was to be the chosen one of God, to be saviour of the world, and the Holy Spirit poured upon him. And as Jesus was spiritually anointed for the task, then like David against Goliath, Jesus faced the enemy, Satan, and he entered into the battlefield of that temptation time. And he would withhold Satan for 40 days. But that wasn't the only time that happened for him. Three years later, Jesus, alone on the cross, again was representative of the whole human race as he won victory over Satan. Again, without using the weapons of the world, Jesus, the good shepherd, like David, won victory and the weakness of the cross. Jesus, son of David, was indeed king of the Jews and, in fact, king of the universe. I think one of the main reasons to, to pick out some of those parallels, and to say it's just a few of them, some of the reasons to pick out some of those, those parallels is to give you an idea of kind of like the master plan of God. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes when you read the Bible, you see it from the beginning of time when God created the Garden of Eden and it was all wonderful and everything was perfect and, and then man messed up. Well, women had a bit to do with it as well. Um, that they messed up and then God thought, oh no, what should I do next? Is what you think, isn't it? But actually, it appears from when we see these stories that Jesus is like that kind of tiny, tiny picture. Jesus is, if we have the eyes of the Spirit to see him, present throughout, even in the echoes of the stories of some of the great Old Testament heroes. Obviously, from the very beginning of time, God planned it. And I think that's really helpful to actually give you an idea that God just didn't make a mistake. God knew, and he knew what we were going to do. But even so, he sent Jesus. 
And to give you some more, just a little bit, you may have noted that I've had no Bible reading, very brief one there. I'm just going to get Derek to come up now, and David can bring him up, to actually um, give us just a very, very brief um, verses from the Old Testament that give us some of the, the kind of scriptural backup, not the kind of reading into the stories, but some of the prophecies that are in the Old Testament that those who have eyes can see that they actually look forward to Jesus. Reading from Micah chapter 5, verses 2 to 5a. And thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judea, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old from everlasting. Therefore will he give them up until the time which he travaileth hath brought forth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty, the name of the Lord, his God. And they shall abide, for, uh, for now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. And this man shall be the peace when the Assyrian shall come forth into our land. The second one is Isaiah uh, chapter 7. Uh, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The third reading was rather difficult. This is all that uh, BibleGateway.com showed to me when I put it up on the PC. So it does end rather abruptly. Anyway, it's Isaiah from chapter, uh, chapter 9, verses 6 to 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The Lord sent a word into Jacob, and it hath lighted upon Israel, and all the people shall know, even Ephraim, and uh, that the inhabitants of Samaria, 
but say in the, the pride and stoutness of heart. Just as we think of the theme of storylines, we can think of the different stories of those Bible characters actually helping us and um, helping us to understand something of Jesus. And then also within those, I mean, there are so many, there's the whole wodge of, of prophecies, I think it's something like 300, isn't it, prophecies about Jesus throughout Scripture um, that have come true, some of them, but obviously there is still time about um, the eternal promises as well. But when you think of it, um, I want to end the storylines talk with a story that is in the book, okay? And it's third hand, okay? But uh, I've, I've heard it a couple of times now and read it as well. And it's just a story that goes to illustrate something of the importance of how these storylines actually affect us as Christians. And it's a story that Mike Pilavachi, who for those of you who don't know you, is a, is a bachelor, okay? He's, I guess, in his 40s, isn't he? Perhaps something like that, maybe in late older. But yeah, he's very much 50. Know him well, okay? Very nice chap, yes. I think he just commits, has committed his life to looking after young people and discipling them, which is brilliant. Anyway, but he tells his story at the end of this chapter about one of his friends, okay, who, unlike him, has got married, okay? And he told this story about his friend who um, decided that he wanted to propose to his girlfriend in a way that was fitting of the love that he had for her. And what he did was um, he laid her a treasure hunt. Now, to me, this sounds totally impractical because he left bits of paper everywhere. I mean, has he not heard of gale force winds? Anyway, but what he did was um, he, he put a, put a, uh, started off apparently, I won't go through all the details, but he, he put a, a note on a tree, pinned it to a tree, and a note was a declaration of undying love. And then it, on the note, it's, I don't know how the treasure hunt started, doesn't say that, but anyway, started with his note on a tree, and then there were clues on the tree as to where the next note was. And, and it was quite an elaborate kind of treasure hunt. And all of the treasure hunt gave her messages of her undying love and it was this kind of paper chase and it ended up okay I don't know if anybody else has done this when well, proposing to a fiance or a wife at the end of it Andrew didn't at the end of it um, just as well I wouldn't have got the clues at the end of it um, there was him like the prize and he was there and there was a box in the ground and I don't know whether he, it doesn't say whether she had to dig it out of the ground or he did but in the box there was an engagement ring I mean how sweet is that okay I thought, yeah, it could be corny. But even though it was a bit corny, and I think a lot of these, apart from the knee thing, which is a bit predictable, not going to ask you who did that. But um, although it might seem corny to us, she actually said yes. And I think she said yes because she thought, God, Tim, what a lot of trouble he went to. <laughs> Don't you think, goodness, it must have taken him ages. And I mean, he must have accounted for the weather unless he laminated like I did to Josh. Um, he must have, you know, it must have taken a lot of effort to think of all the clues. No, he's going to put them in. And, and, you know, it just took ages. And, and then by the end, she thought, Phew, I'm done and I might as well marry him. Anyway, but, but I think the point of the story that Mike Pillow actually said was, that is a bit like God. We are the church, we are the bride of Christ, okay? And what he's done is he has laid this really, really elaborate, loving kind of paper chase of all the messages, all of the prophecies, all of the stories, all of the things, everything leading up to Jesus, light of the world coming, to give you a clue as to how much he loves you. And I'm not going to say the corny bit about it being because you are worth it, but that's basically it. The sense that God loves us so much that he does all of this really should powerfully impact us and impact our response to him.
So, if it was too slow, too quick for you, read the first chapter and you can tell which bits were Mike Pilavachi, which bits were God, and which bit was Sally Willett whittling on. And also, there are other threads about the covenant thread, about the presence of God thread, all sorts of fascinating things there, which help you perhaps to understand a little bit more about the whole picture, the whole storyline of the gospel linking in with the history of how God loves us and how he really thinks we are worth all that he's done for us from the very beginning of time. So as we think about that, we respond. Just, let's just have a moment and pray. Let's just, just listen to God. And then we'll respond by singing some songs in worship to Jesus, our holy God. We thank you, Father, for all of the messages of your love that you've sent to us. Through your word, through your deed, and through the abundance of your provision for us from the very beginning of time. And we respond to you, Lord. And we say thank you. Thank you for your love. Help us to respond by showing our love for you and committing ourselves to you in covenant relationship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.